It needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics. What you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BDP changes. May, may God be with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node sand. Oh, guys. People, you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to GigaCast episode 28 for Monday, April 22nd, live to tape from the thundering GigaCast headquarters. I'm Britton Johnson. And broadcasting live from the VMware Fox Crossing office, I'm Tony Reeves. You saw my new note for your intro. I did. I picked right up on that. Way to go. You're a pro, Tony. I know. (laughs) Now, yeah. I, I, I'm so glad that that your wife named your office something other than the home lab. Because <laughs> <laughs> for so long, I'm just like, you've got to come up with something better to say at the intro than live from my home lab. It just sounds so blah. Oh, I loved that intro. I know, but this was better. <laughs> you're, you're killing me, Smalls. Here, this is way better. <laughs> so... How you how you doing? You're 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 getting over a cold. It's your birthday. <laughs> Feeling all right? Yeah. Yeah, doing much better today. It's good. Happy birthday. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks. On making it another year. <laughs> and today was my first day at VMware as well. Oh yeah, we didn't even ever announce that because we never did a show between last time and you getting hired. So. If, if nobody's oh, that's true. if nobody's heard the news <laughs> fyi tony now works at vmware <laughs> yeah i'm a noob yeah so that's fun how was your first day good lots of training lots of you know getting things set up onboarding access waiting on access to come in that kind of thing and yeah kind of chilling joined a bunch of meetings and kind of playing the fly on the wall for now yeah, that's always fun when you, you know, you get to the end of the meeting and people are like, oh, you've been here the whole time. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I had, let's see, I had like four or five meetings and I was actually acknowledged on one of them. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, we are here to do a quick little intro for a couple things and then we'll get to a bunch of stuff we did. So, um... Oh yeah, you you did another you did another podcast. Tell me about that, traitor. I did <laughs> I was a guest? That's not being a traitor. I know. Um, actually, we even did plugs for the GigaCast twice at the beginning and the end. Oh, so my. there, that's not being a traitor. My, if it's I had a hat, I would tip the hat. Yes, that's that's a way to use the opportunity to plug our podcast. Um, I was a guest on the Nerd Journey podcast with John White from VMware and Nick Corte from VMware. So, okay. yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, we talked for quite a while. They said they got enough material for a couple of episodes, so watch for those wow. to drop. Man. They yeah, do, we went they, through them. They must do shorter episodes. They're not as long-winded as we are. They actually had quite a few questions, more <laughs> questions than we normally ask our guests. <laughs> Maybe it's just our guests that are long-winded. I don't know. I, don't know. I was pretty. I was pretty long-winded. Well, you're you're used to us where we just go on forever. Yeah, but no, it was a good experience, and hopefully that episode will drop soon. Cool. 
Well, we will retweet it out. Oh, um, the big news for the the, the show. Um, I don't know if it's still stuck or not, but uh, the show Twitter account at vgigacast mm-hmm. um, officially hit three hundred followers. Wow! So, if you're not following the show on Twitter, follow the show at vgigacast um, for all the latest show-related news and whatnot and hoo-ha. Um, so. Awesome. Yeah. And I got t-shirts. I got, I got t-shirts for guests. So that's new. And neither one of us are wearing them. I know. <laughs> I'm wearing my plural site shirt. It's the exploding brain. VMware design shirt on. But nice. This is uh, like the second day I wore this because I went for a bike ride tonight. So, you know, get, get the dirty shirt oh. more dirty. Yeah. It rained up here. Yeah, it was, it was. It didn't rain till afterwards. It's been, it's been thundering and lightning. That's why I say it's thundering in the beginning. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. I don't lose power during the recording here. But yeah, uh, I am supposed to be in other news and updates. I'm supposed to be doing a guest spot on the FutureNet podcast with Miss um, Katie Holmes, which we've cool. been we've been trying to schedule that for like a month. So um, I'm gonna hopefully get that on the calendar soon um and get that done so friend of the show tim davis just did one with her not that long ago so if you awesome. haven't if you haven't checked out the future net podcast with katie holmes check that out um we gotta get tim back on here and talk about stuff um so speaking of tim yes he was he was supposed to be at the uh the other event that we're going to talk about in a little bit here yeah he, he he's he he's, he had a rough month so we'll give him a pass well, we'll definitely give him a pass, but yeah. I was looking forward to him being at the uh, event, and unfortunately, he couldn't make yeah, it. We, so. we missed him. We um, missed him. So we were supposed to record yesterday with Mr. Chris Williams and talk about Amazon stuff, but we had to reschedule that because life gets in the way sometimes. So, And you were sick anyway, so it wouldn't have worked regardless. Yeah, I, I could not talk yesterday. So it's a good thing we had, 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 had to reschedule it anyway. But mm-hmm. so he, we're going to try to squeeze him in here pretty soon, and and he will, you know, wow and dazzle us with cloud formation templates and other amazing things. Um, yeah, and then we're also looking at getting a mental health episode, IT right. burnout session, going with um, Michael Stanclift, and I don't know if Al's going to be able to make it, but we're going to try to coordinate an episode. Al and Cody Diarkland for sure. Or, yep. I mean, uh, Michael and Cody Darkton for sure. And this is on the heels of a bunch of people have done um, really, really raw personal blog posts about dealing with, you know, stress at work and anxiety and these kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, more and more, it's just becoming real for people that people have problems. And so um, so we need to kind of talk amongst ourselves about this and, and just take our time and go through it. And I've, I, I'm even, you know, I've even kind of rolled around the idea in my head of seeing if there's some sort of a therapist out there who specializes in an industry like IT and just see mm-hmm. if I can get, you know, a quick 20 minute interview with that person and throw, throw that on the episode or even see if they'll join us. Because I think that would be really handy and really cool to have an actual professional give us some real, real world stuff that people can do. 
but cool. we'll see about that. I don't know, it may not happen before I actually get the episode done, but we're going to try to prioritize that one and get that done sooner than later. I can't cool. move my chair in the right direction now because I have this fancy screen behind me and I'm going to block the logo if I move my chair the wrong direction. Yeah, you're good. We can see most of it. All right. Well, if, if you watch the video later, you can see my fancy green screen graphic. Well, actually, the farther to my left, your right that you go closer to the mic. Yeah. The, actually, the better it looks because the the, uh, the fringing, the little jumping that's happening is kind of hidden a little bit more. Yeah, the, the basement corner wall gets hidden. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got lighting issues down here to deal with, too. So I've, I've rewired the whole studio. I've got a different microphone. I've got a whole bunch of junk going on. And it's, you know, the lighting is the lighting is kind of the next thing to get fixed and figured out. So... I think it's looking good. It's better than my lighting. I have <laughs> I have four different computer monitors turned on and a fluorescent light to get my lighting set up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so yeah. Speaking right. of that, let me turn my brightness up. That'll help me yeah. out. There we go. Okay. So I we said we weren't going to talk forever before we introed this thing, and it's already been ten minutes. So That's without true. any further ado, um, something happened last week that just sort of came out of nowhere tony's tony was trying to, to get back at me is really what was happening um <laughs> because i surprised him at vmworld he's been trying for months apparently to get revenge on me and in a good way yeah but he couldn't pull it off entirely because he had to have my help in setting this up so tell us what happened quickly so we, we had an idea um i've been working with nate hudson who helped coordinate bringing uh pat gelsinger the ceo of vmware to our wisconsin UserCon event last week mm-hmm. and he had been having a hard time getting uh press lined up to do media interviews with pat uh, some of the local stations didn't necessarily know who he was know what he was about right. and, and weren't, weren't able to come and, and make it happen which is just funny and, right i mean we're so embedded in, in the industry and et cetera. It's a little bit hard for us to imagine that, right. but people outside that circle may not necessarily know that. But anyway, uh, Nate came up with the idea of, Hey, you know, I got a couple of community guys that run a podcast. They'd be uh, more than willing and in tune with uh, what Pat would like to talk about. And they think he thought they would be a great fit. So mm-hmm. we started working together on that and we put through it together and we got final approval only a week before the event. Yeah. And, uh, we were working with Pat's uh, communications team, and it turned out really good. Yeah, uh, it we was... had time interviewing him. I had some good questions, and go ahead. It was. I was just thinking, saying it was funny. Like, you know, when the when when his pe- his people kind of came in the room where we were set up, how like their first res- immediate response was, "Wow, this looks so professional." I know. <laughs> I told it to my wife, and she's just like, "Wow, what a backhanded compliment." <laughs> And I'm like, I actually took it as a compliment. So <laughs> I took it as a compliment as well. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I had, you know, stickers on the microphones and we we did a three camera shoot. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was, we, we tried to go all out with it as much as we could. So I'm going to attempt to stitch this episode together, release the audio here as soon as possible after we're done with this. And then... I've got the video of Pat's interview ready to go to YouTube. So the, the, all of these, so for, so for the rest of this episode, what we have is a whole bunch of interviews that we conducted at the user con. We did nine separate interviews, um, including Pat. And we sat down and talked to a whole bunch of people, got a lot of really interesting information. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think it was, I think this will 
be a really good episode. Um, and, and, and really just, I think if, you know, wherever you're listening to this globally, I think this is a good insight as to the kind of stuff and people you can meet at a user con. Um, so yeah, it's like a many, many VM world. Right. There's a lot of people that you don't normally get in your and area. It's free. Cold products. Yeah. So, you know, if you can't, if you can't get to VM world, then look up the nearest user con that's happening near you for, if you're any, anywhere connected to something with VMware, um, and go to a user con, it's the next best thing. And, you know, you'll get all kinds of good info and, and meet, you know, VMware usually always stocks those meetings with, with good professionals as well. Mm-hmm. So before I had ever gone to a VM world, I had heard a lot of people tell me it's like a mini VM world. And after I had gone, I'm like, wow, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just on a smaller scale, but it's got the same level of content. A lot of the same speakers that are at VM world mm-hmm. speak at these user cons. So you're getting good quality content. You don't necessarily have to travel too far for it. And it's free. Yeah. It's very good. So, so yeah, so we talked with Pat first up and super easy guy to talk to, man. We had a, we had like 20 minutes with him. Um, yeah, that was awesome. You know, we had six, we, we got, oh, we needed to give a shout out, Tony. We got some coaching prior to this from the one and only Pete Fletcher from the virtually speaking podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pete, for jumping on the phone with us last minute and giving us some pointers and stuff to talk through and, you know, what, what to do and what not to do scenarios. Um, that was extraordinarily helpful. So thank you so sure. much to Mr. Pete. Um, and I even, I even told Pat that, you know, they're the number one virtual, you know, podcast and we're the number two. So we, <laughs> we hope we will forever be in your debt. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we, so yeah, so we, we talked, we, I lined up six questions and we actually, I think we got seven in amazingly. Cause we were, mm. we were only hoping that we'd get three, but you know, we, 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 uh, he was actually like really on, on, on the ball and, you know, really, you know, got through the answers really quick. And so I'm like, wow, we actually have time to like have an actual conversation. So that was fun. Yeah. One of the conversation or one of the questions that we had, he went in a totally different direction than I thought he would. Oh yeah. So listeners enjoy the interviews uh, upcoming we had some good talks with some right. great people yeah i think this is one of our best episodes yet yeah it's going to be really good so all right let's get out of here and get to the interviews and uh we will be back at you soon with more stuff apologies for the delay in getting between episodes here there's just been a lot happening with tony changing jobs and everything else happening so hopefully this makes up for it this is um, kind of our, our, this was a once in a lifetime chance that we got. And so we're super grateful to everybody that helped make these happen. Um, yeah, for sure. And, uh, well, you know, so Nate, Nate, Nate Hudson, we owe you a lot as well. So, mm-hmm. all right. Without anything else, Tony, anything else you want to add? Cause one after this, we're done. So, nope, we're good. Peace. Right. Feel better. Happy birthday. And, uh, Thanks. we'll, uh, chat at y'all hopefully soon with Chris Williams and then others to come. Thanks.
All right, welcome to a special edition GigaCast here at the Wisconsin uh, VMware UserCon. It's our 10th anniversary, and we have a super extra special guest today. Uh, Mr. Pat Gelsinger, welcome to the GigaCast. Hey, thank you. Great to be with you guys. So, Pat, this morning uh, in your talk, you talked about, I'm just going to dive right into the tech stuff. Please. Um, You talked about sort of this new middleware for the cloud idea. And I'm just curious, you know, what the next evolution of the hypervisor is going to be and sort of how, you know, is containers eventually going to replace something like ESXi? Yeah, and we we believe very firmly that the hypervisor is the foundational element for how infrastructure is run. So we don't think anything's replacing it, you know, containers or anything else. And we, we, we believe that that foundational element will increasingly take on, I'll say, Kubernetes APIs and Kubernetes characteristics so that a uh, application that's, I'll say, a, a collection of containers, a cluster of containers will be able to be provisioned through vCenter into VMs, just like you would have a VM being provisioned by vCenter today. So to some degree, a a user wouldn't be able to tell if it was containerized or not. We're just going to make it simple, elegant, integrated, and operate on top of that infrastructure. And as I said, who runs more containers than anybody else? Google. How do they run them? All in VMs. Right, right. Amazon, all in VMs. You know, uh, Azure, all in VMs. You know, we see the VM as an infrastructure abstraction, where the container is an application abstraction, and the two are perfectly complemented. And we're going to make it seamless to use both of them. Cool. Yeah, so the end user won't even know the difference. Absolutely. That's the and, you know, developers, developers get to go crazy, go container, right, you know, microservice away. Mm-hmm. And our job at the infrastructure level is to make them all run, whether they're old, you know, uh, native environments that are on VMware, mm-hmm. right, you know, modern environments that need to be, right, you know, run in containers in VMs, right, be able to combine those with existing uh, physical environments, which increasingly customers are moving even like Hadoop farms or Spark clusters right on top of VMware, just saying, boy, the infrastructure is all consistent and it all runs through a common uh, SDDC model, as we've described that the software-defined data center really is now possible in a multi-cloud way. Very nice. Cool. So HCI growth, as you know, is exploding. So question for you here is how do you see companies adopting it today? And then how do you see them using it in the future? Yeah, and clearly today, a lot of the use cases for HCI are a bit more targeted mm-hmm. where, uh, boy, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, a DMZ, right? That's fairly isolated, needs to be reasonably isolated from the rest of the day. Okay, let's do that. Uh, maybe it's a store. You know, maybe it's a manufacturing, right, a factory location, and boom, HCI becomes this nice unit of computing. Mm-hmm. Customers today, though, are starting to say, hmm, that works pretty good. You know, let's go start moving to HCI as the core unit of computing, even in my data center. And, you know, what we've done at uh, VMware over the last uh, year or so is making VX rails, right? You know, that appliance level scalable into VX racks. So truly, you can now compose a complete rack or data center solution in a very consistent way. So you can really scale up in the data center. So what started as somewhat targeted use cases in the data center, now we're finding more more and more customers saying this is the unit of computing. I declared about uh, three, maybe four years ago that 
all infrastructure will become HCI in the future, mm -hmm. right? Their customers should no longer think about separate compute, network storage capacities. You know, they should just view it as units of capacity, right, for workload. And that's where I think that we're headed. We still have a long way to go. And even as explosive as ACI growth, HCI growth is uh, today, you know, there's still the vast majority of data centers today are built in a non-HCI way. Right, and I think once you experience uh, the SPBM model, the distributed model, not having to mess with all that additional LUN setup and, and expansion shelves. The thing that's really cool is when you can throw in extra drives and you don't have to buy another shelf if you yeah. don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot more flexible in that way. And I've seen a lot of people going kind of knee deep in like a management cluster like you were speaking of earlier and a lot of people now are going full data center it's, yeah. it's what we did at my previous company as well, well so very good and we're we, we expect that that is the model you mm -hmm. know some people went into it a little bit cautiously you yeah. know as infrastructure customers you know generally are you know hey they're the ones who get called in the middle of the night right. so they yeah. tend to be a little bit uh, uh conservative you know also there is a maturity process for any major new right component of the data center where boy until as i say you ain't hurt enough yet right you know you just got to go through some of those storage outages some of those rebuild cycles right you know yeah. you know be on the verge of a data loss experience you need to get a few of those done on any new product right but we're well past that now oh, you yeah. know this is a mature product you know billions of dollars of revenue you know tens of thousands of customers this is the way to build your data center into the future Cool. Nice. So, Pat, I, I sort of cut my teeth in, in the VMware world once right after the Nicer acquisition. And, you know, I saw NSX come in and I'm like, this is going to be a huge thing, you know, just for the industry and for tech as a, you know, next evolution of networking, moving, moving on, moving networking into the software layer. Um, and, you know, NSX has grown now from a single product into this virtual cloud network suite of products. Um, what's what? What else is left, and what's next for software-defined networking, mm -hmm. and how is it going to continue to shape its you know piece of of the market in the future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and clearly, you know, our our vision here is that it is the multi-cloud, wide area data center network of choice, and it carries all of the layer four through seven services that the data center requires. Uh, as well and uh, that it's application centric right you know so that my network my routing my firewalls it's you know load balancers essentially create with my application through a software defined way they move with the application as I move it around my data center and when the application stops they go away right you know I have no leftover firewall rules that nobody can quite remember you know right, why we right. created that 17 years ago but nobody is and the courageous <laughs> right enough to actually get rid of it uh, maybe you know, mm -hmm. right? You know, in those environments, so that world needs to change. Now, we're all obviously with NSXT, we're well on our way for a radically scalable control plane. Right, the firewall that we just released, you know, is a radical step forward in doing east-west traffic management with VeloCloud. Mm -hmm. We can stretch that all the way to the WAN, so we're in very, you know, good shape there. Some of the key areas for us that we're not done yet, you know, the intrinsic load balancing is weak. 
Mm -hmm. right you know so that needs to be improved substantially you know we also the cloud native embodiments of nsx right you know where it truly becomes the preferred way to do networking in the cloud mm -hmm. right or you know those are solid products now but the adoption is just really getting started in azure yeah. and amazon you know we also see that we need you know stronger overall policy and analytics across the entire distributed right um, virtual cloud networks those are key areas for us uh, to focus on and then the last one is reaching into the container space right where we have na native integrated container networking you know at the service mesh istio kind of model becomes intrinsic as well so as excited about as where we are today right you know we see these four areas as big ones for continued investment and innovation cool awesome so we've talked a little bit about technology so Let's go on a little bit more personal over here. What is a personal accomplishment that you're particularly proud of? You know, it's been such a Cinderella career, right? You know, that there are lots that I can, uh, right, you know, look back on uh, with uh, satisfaction. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, one that, uh, uh, you know, was just so pleasant when he mentioned, you know, the Wi-Fi. Everybody takes it for granted today. Yeah. There was a day where it was a huge global international standards battle. You know, we, we fought with the Chinese. Over they had a competing technology called WAPI uh, at the mm -hmm. time, you know, where I personally led the U.S. contingent, the ITU, the international standards bodies, right, to bring about, you know, Wi-Fi as a global standard uh, at oh. the time, which, you know, looking back on it today, you know, we all take Wi-Fi for granted. And there yeah. was a day when, you know, boy, I was, you know, you know, making shuttle diplomacy trips, you know, and, uh, you know, that's really where I learned, uh, you know, wow. sort of my first aspects, right, of what it really meant to negotiate international standards right and uh, uh, you know really cut my teeth on some politics that's that day I made the decision I was never going into politics technology was the place <laughs> to be you know but that was fabulous you know the fact that you know over 30 years of Moore's law you mm -hmm. know that I participated in just extraordinary Right. Yeah, that's uh, cool. Right. You know, uh, as well. And now, uh, you know, as a CEO, where you really get to, I'll, I'll say, you, you own the culture of the company as the CEO, right? Where no, nobody else gets to do that. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a pretty special uh, obligation, responsibility. You know, I think of it almost as a sacred honor that the CEO has. Yeah. And kind of going right into that, I have another question that's based on that, you know. Basically, how have the epic values influenced the culture at VMware? You know, you're the CEO. That, that culture starts at the top. So can you give us a little bit of insight on that? Yeah, well, the epic values, as we call them, execution, passion, integrity, customer, community. And we're an epic company, epic customers, epic products, epic employees. Mm -hmm. right? We do epic things. You know, just uh, work so well uh, as an acronym as well. But, you know, for us, you, you know, what I, I get so proud of is, is that, people will join the company from other places you know maybe this is their fourth fifth sixth company they've been at in their career and within a few weeks they come back and say this place is different right you guys really live your values they're not just something stuck on the side of a conference room and uh, for me that's what gets me excited Right. You know, that people just see that the company, you know, that we really believe in, you know, these values that we really are working to create a workplace, you know, that people treasure. Uh, my objective is, is that uh, every member of the VMware team says this was the best experience of my career. 
right? You know, not, not, not just a good one, but the best, you know, I learned more, I grew more, I enjoyed the people I work with. Uh, as I uh, uh, like to point out, you spend more of your discretionary hours with your work family than you do your personal family, right? You know, and uh, with that, you know, we just want this to be a place that people just love. And that's one of the things that draw me, drew me personally to want to work at VMware is all of the friends that I've made that have worked at VMware that have exhibited those values and such satisfaction in their work and, and you know, being happy with the company. Mm -hmm. So appreciate yeah. that. So one thing you kind of touched on, Pat, with your, your involvement in the Wi-Fi adoption standard, I think as technology people or just, you know, technology users in general, a lot of us just take for granted that this stuff just happens and you never think about all the stuff that happens in the background, you know, about developing a new standard or developing a new product even. So like, you know, how, how does, you know, if somebody wants to, you know, get in, really into the weeds of engineering a new product for themselves or for a company, from your experience from working at Intel and working on stuff at, at you know, with the Wi-Fi adoption, you know, where's the starting point for somebody to try to like start to be an influencer into future technologies? Well, you know, I think in particular, uh, you know, as an engineering type, right? Yeah. You know, you think technology wins, right? And that's a very naive thought, right? Because, you know, bad technologies succeed all the time, right? And it really is, I think as technologists, you know, be good at your tech, Right, you know, know your data, know your technology, make it great. You know, but then you have to branch into these other areas if you're truly going to make the tech and the product successful. And uh, you know, to me, taking stints in, you know, being a systems engineer, you know, being you know a bag carrying salesman, you know, being a representative at an IEEE or an ITU meeting, or you know, just going and doing coding on top of some of the stuff that you've done as an infrastructure folk. Right. You know, all of those kind of things, it makes you better. Even if you decide to stay hardcore engineering, right? Which, you know, to me is one of the, you know, uh, being able to say that you've created every day, mm -hmm. right? You know, is a pretty phenomenal position that an engineer has, right? You know, and it's like, you know, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not like a physicist theoreticking about things, right? You're not like a scientist who, who's proving things. You're actually making things work, right? And to me, that's just an extraordinary calling. But reaching into these other domains and getting some experience there makes you better as an engineer and that's something that I think every you know engineer experience and getting out of your comfort zone a bit mm -hmm. you know being in some of those other settings when you come back and really understand how the customer is using the product or really understanding how the standard gets emerged okay now you've gotten better at doing your day job awesome cool so ra wrapping it up we have a few seconds left talk to me just a briefly about cloud health and how that integrate that acquisition is you know rolling into VMware as a whole and how, what you kind of see happening f for the future with the cloud health yeah you know cloud health obviously multi-cloud you know management for cost compliance uh, performance and I almost think about it the opposite way of the question I think about VMware rolling into cloud health as opposed to cloud health rolling into VMware interesting okay right because in many regards you know cloud health hey you know they're being successful as a multi-cloud platform most of VMware's products are centered around around the VMware platform, right? You know, so here's one that we truly said we're buying something that is not dependent on the fact that it didn't even support the VMware environments when we acquired Cloud Health. Wow. Now we're yeah. adding VMware support into that environment. We're 
taking many of our products and making them part of that multi-cloud platform. You know, it's a SaaS buying model from day one, so we're learning new buying muscles, and we're quite committed to being that platform that enables people to take advantage of multi-cloud uh, environments. So as much as we are trying to, you know, bring them into the VMware family and cloud health by VMware and branding, right, right. you know, some of the other aspects of being a VMware class company, I think, in fact, that cloud health for me is teaching me more, right, about being a truly multi-cloud SaaS company and us bringing more of our value and assets into their unique uh, capabilities and uh, platform. Very cool. Well, Pat, thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with us for a little bit. We appreciate it a lot. And, you know, hopefully we can catch you at VMworld someday. I look forward to that as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank you. Talking to Sean Massey from VMware. Tony is here. Tony, how are you? You, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's been a crazy day so far, but I'm surviving. It's so, been a fun day. Sean, how are things in your first few months at VMware? Things have been great in my first few months at VMware. I feel like this is the best career move I've ever made. Awesome. So what is it that you're doing so far? What are you working on? So I am part of our uh, cloud providers and solutions team. So I work with our VMware cloud provider partners. There's about 4,000 of them globally. And what they basically do is if if you think about like what, you know, when you think about cloud, right, you usually think of Amazon, mm-hmm. Microsoft Azure, and then, you know, in a distant third, there's Google, and somewhere further out, there's Oracle. Well, VMware has a whole ecosystem of partners, smaller smaller MSPs, uh, smaller consulting firms that also provide cloud as a service to their customers and they do a lot of this running on vmware solutions so i'm part of that team and i support that global ecosystem as part of that i'm focused on our primarily on our end user computing solutions so what i do is i help them implement things like horizon in the various forms and workspace one as managed services for their customers cool and that makes sense as you're a vcdx ttm right correct Oh, that's pretty cool. So what would you say is your favorite thing about working at VMware so far? Oh, it's, you know, I'm trying to think of how I want to word this here. Um, so you know how usually when you're outside of the vendor space, either as a consultant or as a customer, you tend to just eat the sausage, right? Somebody else makes it and you just cook it and eat it. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm actually part of you know helping make the sausage. So it's having influence in you know what what the recipe is and and, and what the products are and and being able to 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 take the experiences that I've had as a customer and as a consultant and, you know, help feed that back to the product teams and help provide insight into, you know, what's working, what doesn't, and actually being able to, to kind of try things early and, and getting to play with, play with is a bad word, getting to skill up on everything that VMware has to offer. Yeah, the internal training opportunities have to be pretty incredible. You got to be messing with some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's, so it's there's a lot of good internal training. VMware, you know, makes available a ton of internal training resources. Um, there's the opportunity to to use things that you know, as a customer, 
or as a consultant, it, it may be very hard to justify. So a lot of the stuff I've been doing lately has been related to Horizon 7 on VMware Cloud on AWS mm-hmm. um, and Workspace ONE, two things which are very hard to get a hold of outside of VMware. So yeah. it, there's a lot of good learning opportunities to to, to learn about the stuff that you know you usually wouldn't get a chance to play with. So, Sean, is is there actually like a, are you seeing a lot of you know enterprise demand for moving people's works workstations or VDI environments into the public cloud? Next question. <laughs> well, well, we're, well we're, we're recording here, so and. Um, I think there is demand for it. I think there's some really good use cases that are solved by VMware Cloud on AWS, especially when it comes to Horizon. Um, But you got to remember, right? Sometimes when VMware comes out with a product, it may take a a year or two for enterprises to catch up. Right. So I, I think we're still in kind of that new phase. There's a lot of interest around it. There is potentially a lot of demand. I... But I, again, work mostly with partners. And I know there are MSPs that have huge demand for, for putting EUC workloads in, in VMware Cloud on AWS because then they don't have to worry about the hardware. They don't have to worry about managing that underlying layer. They can provide desktops as a service for their customers you know, just by swiping a credit card practically. Right. And not only that, but they can scale up on demand when the busy season hits. They can scale yep. back when it, it wanes off. And, and it's easy to segregate customer environments because each customer could have their own SDDC. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of benefits in that space for it. Yeah, cool. the automatic failover if you have some sort of a failure on a host. And then being able to tie in with native Amazon services as well. So if you want to provide... A, one of the things I've been working on, um, and this was submitted as a VMworld session topic, is um, integrating with native Amazon services and building out global environments. Cool. So one of the projects my team has been working on for our own internal lab has been, well, we have... Uh, SDDCs in, in four regions globally, right? How do we put Horizon on it and make it a seamless experience? So that's one of the things that, um, as we build out the lab, that I've been working on. And there's a blog post I I posted recently on our team blog about using it with Route 53. To what is Route 53? Amazon Route 53 is basically a their DNS service, oh, okay. and one of the things that it allows you to do is essentially global service load balancing. So instead of having to use like Netscaler or F5 to do it, you can just do it natively in Amazon. So we have a URL uh, for our team to access Horizon. You can hit that, and depending on where you are in the world, it's going to look at the latency to the nearest region mm-hmm. and direct you there. Now, we only have it in Sydney and London, so it's basically halfway around the world yeah. um, from each other. But we have tested this, and, and we can show, like, oh, if we turn off London, it will direct to Sydney. And you can get, you can get to your desktop from essentially anywhere in the world it works it it's actually really cool and yeah it sounds neat it's the kind of it's the it's the ability to do things like that that make vmware a really exciting place at least for me i, I worked you know when i had when i was 
back at a regular day job. For a while, I forced myself to use my daily driver workstation as a VDI, yep. and I loved it. the The experience was great because, like everything, it was always there. I could be at home, jump on, and do stuff in the data center. Everything just worked well. I mean, like as long as you're not some major like graphic professional, like for administrative stuff, it was perfect. Yeah. Well, and we could even solve the graphics professional stuff now too. Mm-hmm. See, and that's what I was worried about. What I was wondering about is like what's sort of the evolution of because I know Nvidia has a lot of stuff you know coming into that how does is it all is it really all hardware restricted still now or are there software ways that they can get around some of that so there's not so it is hardware it is tied to hardware right if you think about it gpus are specialized hardware even on right. you know your, your macbooks and your your intel or your uh, windows based laptops right there's still a physical gpu it's it's built into the cpu these days but there's still hardware there dedicated to doing graphics so what nvidia does is they they take their hardware and they have a software layer that pairs with it that allows you to slice up that gpu and present it to virtual desktops so you can you can slice it up for um you know, for your daily driver, you know, Windows 10 administrative, or you can, you know, take bigger chunks or a, a different a different software piece mm. and actually enable, you know, your AutoCAD, your your and other high end apps. Right there, there's use cases in in uh, media and entertainment now where they're they're doing stuff on virtual GPUs. Really? Yes. Mm, cool. So, th- th- and this is where this is where the technology. We gotta swap that chair out. We'll have to swap this chair. Yeah, Uh, there's some there's some really cool stuff going on with um, where you have a virtual workstation by day. You do a you do a virtual desktop. You do your like computer animation in it, and then at night you flip it over and you turn it into a render farm. That's awesome. So and and that was one of the things at the Nvidia conference this year. They talked a lot about that, and they showed some ways you can do it. Um, and it's only going to get more elegant as the software matures. Um, and the big thing that enables that is last last year, Nvidia and and VMware finally released GPU enabled vMotion. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. How does so, how's that work? It works really well. One one of these days, I'll have to show you a demo of it. Yeah, that'd be uh, cool. We would love that. Yeah. So the uh, the next VTech lunch that we have, maybe we start making these lunch and learns. And we force Britain to come up if he wants a yeah. piece of the action. Yeah, Br- Britain, or, or, you should come up to the Fox Valley. Or we can just do it on the GigaCast. We could do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sean, thanks for stopping by and doing a little test recording with us. Oh, no problem. Appreciate and, it. Uh, look for more to come later on. And we are back with our continuing special episode at the VMware UserCon in Wisconsin, the 10th anniversary of the UserCon. And we have our, our next super special guest following on the heels of Mr. Gelsinger, Pat, oh Pat himself. We have Mr. Lord Nigel Hickey with us. Nigel, how are you? Hey, how are you guys? I'm doing great. So... You know, Nigel, refresh everybody. It's been a while since you've been on the show. Tell us again what you do and, you know, what all is happening in your world. Yeah, no problem. I am a technical marketing engineer for vSphere and vCenter Server. So my focus is now mostly on vCenter Server. Uh, my Last year I was working with our upgrade team, did a lot of upgrade workshops uh, with David Stamen and Kev Johnson. Uh, we've kind of 
uh, split a little bit from that. Those guys are doing workshops, and I'm kind of filling in uh, with the tech marketing for vCenter server. So blogs, walkthroughs, uh, user cons, so forth. So you were just vCenter, vSphere all the time? Yeah, it was mostly just kind of getting folks off of the 5.5 five days and into 6.5 and 6.7 last year and kind of changed some focus to uh, specifically focus on vCenter server. Cool. Neat. So... Not that long ago, what was it, last week, the bits dropped for vCenter 6.7U2? That's right. Tell us a little bit more about that, some of the cool feature upgrades. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in um, vCenter Server 6.7 Update 2, which I believe was the 11th last week that the bits came out, um, we had some blogs come out last week. Uh, One of them was mine, the vCenter Server blog. So Mm -hmm. we talked about uh, some changes in topology, right? So we've deprecated the external platform services controller. Now we're actually able to show you that in the interface as you're installing. So if you're choosing the external platform service controller, we will give you an alert and a warning of that deprecation coming with a link to the knowledge base article so you can read further and understand why. So that's kind of nice. It's in the UI and the CLI. Also, the convergence tool for converging your external platform services controllers is now built into the vSphere client UI. Also, you don't have to do that through the JSON file through CLI. That's still an option. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now it's all in the interface and their system configuration. So it's nice to be able to select your node, um, decommission, or excuse me, convergence of their platform service controller. And then you can uh, decommission your platform service controller afterwards. So... Pretty cool there. Uh, some new features. Uh, vSphere Client got some updates as well. So now we have Developer Center uh, in there, and that's going to be Code Capture. If you guys are fans of uh, stuff that Kyle's been working on, uh, you'll see Code Capture. We're able to turn that on, make some actions, and export that to a PowerCLI type uh, .NET code. Um, also, in that same window, we have API Explorer. So API Explorer moved out of the interface from the VAMI where it was on the VCSA FQDN slash uh, API Explorer. So mm-hmm. it's out of there, and now it's in the client. So that kind of helps us with authentication as well. So we don't have to re-authenticate to try um, one of the APIs that's in there as well. So that's kind of nice. Uh, and then vSphere Plugins got a little health update. So that's kind of nice. Um, I would say with that, it's more around troubleshooting, right? Mm-hmm. So you deploy a plugin, or a plugin is deployed with your appliance or your third-party tools, and maybe it fails, and there wasn't a good way to figure that out. We can see if it's incompatible, if it's failed, or successed all from the vSphere uh, UI. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, kind of nice. Um, uh, last, I would say, updates to file-based uh, backup and restore for the VCSA. We support uh, now um, SMB and um, NFS. So, <laughs> I was just going to ask you yeah. about that. I, I just <laughs> and it's it's version three of NFS and SMB two. Awesome. So, yeah. yeah, that was a frustration that I know a lot of people had is uh, secure FTP, FTP, HTTP, right. HTTPS. Yeah, so that's good. So are there any other new features in the, the VAMI console, like for monitoring or health checking, troubleshooting kind of? So not, not much in the VAMI there. There's not much has changed. Uh, since mm-hmm. 6.5 to 6.7, obviously, we changed a lot of the way the monitoring yeah, looks there. Upgrade. Nothing big on that side. Um, vSphere Health has a couple new things as well. So okay. vSphere Health has been broken apart into categories now. So when you're in the health screen, you can see computes and storage, health checks, and so forth. And eventually, um, I would personally like to see, I'm not sure if we're going to get there yet, but... 
we have those two checks, right? We have health for vSAN, health for vSphere. Right. And we've kind of adopted, the vSphere side has adopted what vSAN has already built. So I think eventually we would like to see them all together, you know, at one point. But right now they're still in the two different locations, but very valuable. Mm-hmm. You can click on those and get the knowledge base article help uh, to resolve issues pretty quickly. So. Cool. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of times as a vSAN admin I've had to go into that health check and it's really helpful. To yeah, kind of and I'm not a vSAN guy at all. So without calling John, I usually look in there first or Jace, you know, <laughs> look in there. So it's, it's super helpful. Nice. Cool. So in, in your, do you, do you have a lot of interaction with customers or not so much? Not so much. Um, but as a tech marketing, you know, we see customers here at the user cons, um, back in the office, it's working with a lot of our technical account managers who bring us customer problems sometimes. And occasionally we'll get on the phone with either that, that TAM or with the TAM and the customer and kind of, you know, help them through a situation. Sometimes customers want to hear, uh, the words from someone else as well, like, okay, that's not supported or here's a better way to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the upgrade team, we did that a lot too. So we would get people's upgrade plans and we we don't touch those or, you know, do anything to their environment, but we can give some kind of, you know, hand-holding or best effort. Like, let's let's think about this piece before we move forward. So we kind of give them that trusted advisor feel. So Okay. Do you feel like from the customers you're interacting with, like, do, do is there a lot of people still holding on to Windows vCenter that are just not letting go. And for them, does it usually make more sense to, you know, just do a net new vCenter or just do a complete migration? So my consultant answer is it depends. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But as far as customers and seeing customers, I think I'm seeing less and less customers on the vCenter server for Windows. Mm. Um, just in my session this morning, I think one person raised their hand out of a room of 40 people oh, that wow. had the Windows, and everyone yeah. else was uh, VCSA, and out of that mess, there was probably five or six people that were external PSCs. So folks are getting it. I, I think, obviously, maybe in Wisconsin, you guys are getting it. You're doing a good job up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to other user cons or other meetings where you know 50% of the room is still telling me that they're on 5.5 or they're on Windows, but when when they say that they're just they're getting to the next version so they're in the there's a plan in, in progress. there's a plan of progress it's not that they're sitting around waiting and saying i love five five and the fat client and i'm staying here mm-hmm. uh, i still hear that a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they're making their way forward to six seven and that's what we want to see because once they get to six seven then they can take advantages of things like vSphere platinum VMware right. cloud and aws and all those other things that kind of go with that so it's kind of nice to see folks get to that next stage before the big you know um you know next updates or dot next and things like like that come out so like it's really the, cool. the hill i always have to climb with people is kind of explaining like vcenter is a management overlay and like all your workloads and stuff don't necessarily just come to a halt if you if vcenter upgrade goes bad you know like it, it, it's you can roll back it, it's communicating to them like you know you you want to be on the latest release of this thing for all of the features and functions that it gives you right and it's, it's and still people are so stuck in this production mindset that you know if, if vcenter is in production you can't touch it mm-hmm. because it's a production thing but it's just like well that's what's helping you keep everything else in production right so if you do you kind of have to have those kinds of conversations with people occasionally and i think it also, it also depends right so a small environment 
you're not going to have a bunch of stuff connected to vCenter. You're probably not going to have NSX or you're not going to have vROPS or you might not even have SRM or something like that. But when you get to larger customers and they have that, then sure, when the vCenter is out, then they're losing the services that are touching the PC right. or the vCenter there. But like you said, you know, other workloads are still chugging along. But as we get further and attaching more and more onto vCenter, it becomes more complex, right? So right. we have to talk through those things. And a lot of it is uh, what I like to call focus plan execute. So it's focusing on what you're doing, you know, planning and getting all your stuff together that you focused on and then actually following through and executing that. So a lot of that homework and the focus and plan is like you going through interop and checking right. things and all that kind of jazz, but also maybe figuring out as a new admin or an, a guy that just inherited the vCenter, what's connected? I don't even know as an admin. So finding those things out and making sure like, okay, I'm not going to disrupt Horizon if it's on there and I have, mm -hmm. you know, Composer on the same server or I'm not going to mess up my SRM. So just understanding that, I think customers understand that concept, but I've seen folks kind of glaze over it and be like, I'm just going to upgrade the vCenter this weekend and, yeah. and realize, oh, there's some other stuff that you might upset. So it's more just kind of guiding and, and getting in the right way. I think the more that we talk about it, the more that we blog about it, the more that uh, our documentation supports all the methods to, to get to the next version, I see people using that. So it's nice. Cool. Yeah. And, and that, that that's like the last thing I'll say is like, the more kind of services you layer onto your to your vSphere, like NSX and vSyn and all this other extra stuff, mm -hmm. I think the more important vCenter HA becomes because, like, yeah, then it does become a critical component of your infrastructure and keeping things rolling. Okay. Sure, definitely. So what are some key things to consider when planning your upgrade? So again, going back to the focus, plan, execute, I think the biggest thing that customers could do is is really just go through the interops that they have. If that's the hardware interop to make sure that the hardware is going to be able to support 6.7. Firmware and drivers. Yeah, firmware drivers. The biggest thing I see is the hardware refresh. And as a customer, I always had to wait three years to get hardware. So say if I was that customer and I was going to 6.7, but my hardware didn't support it, I might take my vCenter server to 6.7 knowing that I can still support 6.5 hosts mm -hmm. until my CapEx came in and I can buy that hardware. So those are the things that need to kind of be thought through. Like a lot of folks will say, oh, I want to get the new version because it's got great features, but they may have forgotten that, you know, one of the servers was a different proc and, mm -hmm. you know, that's why their EBC was turned on and so forth. So um, just kind of planning through that before doing it, it's kind of, it's, it sounds brainless, right? Like, okay, you shouldn't have to think that hard. But uh, there's so many hooks and balances between what's connected and what's not connected to vCenter, like we just talked about, that knowing that and getting your homework done and documenting all that will help you get to the interop to show what's available, what's compatible, and then kind of following through on that. Yeah, and one thing that I've seen quite a bit is people jumping the gun and upgrading ESXi before touching vCenter. That's you so unfortunate. You always want to make sure that you upgrade your yeah. vCenter first. Yeah, I, I I talked to a customer at a VMUG last year. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember which one it was. I know it wasn't Wisconsin. <laughs> so, but it was a guy, he just had a small environment, and he had two hosts, and he asked that question. And he was able to go back and redo the host. But, like, imagine production. I'm like, get, yeah. get the plan in order. Like, PSCs, vCenter, hosts, so forth. You know, like, don't try to chicken and egg yourself there and get stuck. Right, right. Well, hey, Nigel, thanks for stopping by, giving yeah. us a few minutes and awesome. very, very good, insightful wisdom tips. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it.
Welcome back to our special VMware Wisconsin UserCon episode edition. We have another awesome local guest, Mr. Anthony Hook. Captain Hook, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Great. It's, hey, thanks for coming on the GigaCast. Yeah, thanks for uh, hijacking me from conversation. Yeah, you no problem. Um, That's what we do. <laughs> so, Anthony, give give us all sort of the, the who you are and what you do speech in... Uh, Two minutes or less. Sure. Yeah, I can. I can think. I can do that. I'm Anthony Hook. Uh, I'm a VMware practice lead at Heartland Business Systems out of the Midwest. So uh, my role is, you know, both pre-sales and post-sales. Uh, I work with customers, help them identify their needs and solve their problems. So uh, I specialize in in VMware technologies, anything from, you know, data center storage virtualization and user compute. Um, all that good stuff. Were you somewhere before Harlan? I was at another consulting company, yeah. Okay. So I was consulting before that and consulting before that as well. Yeah, so you're a lifer. Yeah, so far. <laughs> so far, a little stint with internal uh, a long time ago. Did some help desk stuff, which was great experience. But otherwise, I've been consulting. So since you're deep into the consulting wing of things, like myself, which, you know. The, the dirty consultant yeah, word. Yeah, <laughs> wonder twin consultants unite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is there any cool projects you're working on right now? Um, I have, yeah, a lot of projects with a lot of different um, width and, and depth. But um, some of the cool ones I'm doing, uh, some multi-site uh, end-user compute with Horizon. So I've got some customers that are looking to uh, use the CloudPod architecture and um, you know deliver virtual, des- uh, virtual desktops and applications to their users um at different capacities some are looking for you know active active data center active passive so we're you know having discussions about you know what they're looking to do and you know what their end goals are and and you know think about things like dr and failover and you know how how all of those components are handled so those have been pretty fun um and I, i got a few of them in the hopper so that's that's been pretty cool what is the strangest thing you've ever seen in a data center it can be anything from wiring horror stories or anything weird. Yeah, uh, great question. Um, the strangest thing in a data center, I walked into the data center and uh, it, was a, it was a room on a second floor of a two-story building mm-hmm. and I saw rain gutters around the room. What? That's, that's and, not a good uh, sign. <laughs> and there was a like a custom-built eave that was made in the room with rain gutters around it. And and there were some cables in it some in it, and i thought you know that's actually not a bad idea for some cost effective cable management you know that, that sure, makes sense sure. so i, I kind of followed the the rain gutters around the room and then there was a downspout and then there was a 55 gallon bucket in the corner <laughs> i said are these what are what is the function of these rain gutters and it was actually to prevent rain for a couple of years they had some roof issues and wow. they moved oh, all man. of their their data center equipment to the middle of the room built these custom eaves because they they could actually do that faster and quicker and cheaper than it was to replace the roof wow oh, that's man. crazy so, so le- legit rain gutters that had a purpose and uh that's pretty cool i feel like i've stolen part of the be speaking podcast fire flood blood story <laughs> but yeah that's that's a good question tony it's pretty yeah, cool excellent work yeah that was that was good go ahead oh i i'm out you're up oh so i understand you're a v brown bag host 
So yes. How did you get involved in that? I obviously assume that because you're active in the community, you enjoy doing these kind of things. But how did you get specifically involved in V Brown Bag Host? So I kind of followed this rabbit hole on Twitter one day, um, very, very early on, and trying to, you know, spread my wings a little bit and learn on my own and find people to learn from and figure out, you know, where where I can get this knowledge. I wanted it. I wanted to learn. And um, so I followed some people on Twitter and learned some cool things and found some blogs just kind of organically and people mm-hmm. would retweet other people and and um, <laughs> Frappier on Twitter posted something about um, we're looking for help. V Brown Bag Podcast is looking for help. Does anybody want to do it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I replied back before I knew what I was doing. I said, "Yep, I'm in." You know what? What's next? How do I start? And uh, I had never seen an episode before. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the content was, what the format was. I didn't know how it worked, but I wanted to help. I wanted to be a part of the community that I saw happening, um, you know, cross-training, free education. Everybody starts somewhere. So yep. I wanted to give back and be a part of it. So I kind of dove headfirst into it. Um, I've been, awesome. been pretty quiet for the last year, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get a little more active and, and help out with that. And see here, I was expecting an Aaron, Ariel Sanchez you story here. No, no, actually, um, no, he wasn't even a part of it. It was, I, I cool. blame Frapp for that. Nice. Awesome. Well, it was great having you on, and I appreciate you sharing your story and spending a few minutes with us here today. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Yeah. The special GigaCast from the Wisconsin UserCon here in Milwaukee today. We have with us Mr. Nate Hudson. Nate, how are you? I'm awesome. You are awesome. So having a good day. It's, yes. it's been a really fun day. So Nate, um, tell me and everybody who might be listening who you are and what you do at VMware. Uh, I'm a cheesehead. Uh, I'm also a VMware employee. Nice. Uh, work for VMware as a uh, solutions engineer. I uh, work for. Uh, <clears throat> I have uh, four larger customers in the in the area. Um, I'm also a member of the. Uh, uh, CTO and master's program at VMware as well. Cool. We'll, we'll get more into that in a minute. Um, so, you know, is there any kind of cool projects that your customers are really stoked about and interested in and working on right now? Uh, believe it or not, I have uh, a couple customers. I won't mention who they are because they probably don't want that information shared publicly. Sure. But let's just say a couple of my customers um are working on some challenges around getting uh their sap environment off of uh aix db2 platforms and are talking about upgrading to sap hana and they're looking at doing that on an x86 environment on vmr now i know nothing about sap but i know that's a big deal it is number one because the existing versions of sap uh, will have to be re-architected from an application standpoint to support, you know, S4 or HANA mm-hmm. uh, platform. And uh, instead of a scale-up environment like they typically have been, it's more of a scale-out. So you have to uh, redesign and refocus the back-end SAP HANA databases to be more scalable out instead of up. So you're not building, you know, database servers that have, you know, umpteen billion, you know, gigabytes of, of RAM allocated. They're you know, Max can be configured on vSphere 6. Uh, you can go up to four terabytes of RAM uh, on a, an SAP HANA S4 wow. database. Four terabytes of RAM? Yes. Wow. Yep. So you're talking about some pretty good-sized beefy boxes, but not all mm-hmm. customers have 
requirements to, to to have the database be that large. There are a lot of customers that scale it out a little bit more and make the database servers themselves much smaller from a virtualization standpoint. They're going to be running that on vSAN? Uh, is SAP HANA certified? Uh, potentially. Um, one of my customers were, were going to be uh, positioning uh, one of our partners, uh, which is made up of members of the, the VMware family that used to run the SAP practice at VMware. A company is called Civitry. And uh, their, their consulting methodology involves helping the customers re-architect the SAP application itself, designing it to run on a virtualized infrastructure platform. And from an automation and a cost savings perspective, they also integrate uh, a, a landscape manager automation plugin to the VRA platform to automate the provisioning of SAP landscapes, hmm. which is a very daunting task. Most customers, they have a, a, an entire basis team that's focused solely on uh, configuring all of the services that are dependent on any new SAP, SAP landscape that's provisioned. And um, leveraging a hybrid cloud model. So they have been positioning with customers uh, leveraging the the power of the VMC on AWS platform mm -hmm. as as a way of being able to provision non-prod SAP landscapes. So from a from a pipeline standpoint, application development standpoint, uh, typically you'll have a, a team that's you know testing the new version of code for SAP HANA and they want to spin up a new landscape, but rather than you know paying a, a static um, uh, capital expenditure cost to buy that additional capacity f of hardware in your data center. Uh, they're they're recommending to provision it into VMC and AWS because the workloads are temporary, and that way they can get more bang for their buck and they can uh, focus on their capital expenditure costs in their private cloud data center and keep that a somewhat static environment for production workloads. Wow! Yeah, cool. Some interesting stuff. Yeah. So today. You mentioned earlier, today's been a big day for us, right? Uh, here at the Wisconsin UserCon. So you were very instrumental in helping plan Pat Gelsinger's visit to this UserCon. So can you walk us through a little bit what that process was like, who you interacted with, working with his handlers and, and some of that stuff. Sure. Some of, some of the back-end work, the well, effort uh, that it took. Well, I, would, to get I will say it's all your fault. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but joking aside, I remember being on the the VMUG leader uh, planning call that we you know we're we're all on 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 every Friday and yep. um, in in talking about even though the UserCon was still almost a year away, we were already talking at that time about you know the celebration around the anniversaries you know ten year UserCon anniversary, fifteen year anniversary of the Wisconsin VMUG, and you had mentioned yeah, it'd be kind of cool if we could get like a high level speaker. Mm -hmm. you know to come to the user con this year you know and i don't know if it was you or somebody else joked and said well how about about how about pat gelsinger you know and i kind of took it upon myself like hey you know why not you know and i've always been kind of the person that's like you know you never know unless you ask you have exactly. to ask you know so i i happen to be out in i happen to be out in palo alto for some cloud academy training for my for my job and while i was there i was spitting distance from pat's office mm -hmm. and i decided well on my lunch break i'm just going to walk over there and see if he's in the office today and i was just going to ask him well ironically he wasn't there because as busy as pat is he was out on the road doing what he does loving doing what he does and visiting customers all the time yeah um but his admin was there so i talked to uh, talked to his admin and she she basically said well you know it sounds like a great idea why don't you just email him 
And of course, at the time, I thought, yeah, right. Like Pat's gonna <laughs> Pat's gonna respond back to my email. Yeah. So Strange, um, things have happened. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, whatever. So I came back. I finished lunch, and before I started my next training session in the afternoon, I typed up an email and kind of made, you know, the business value or the value of the community and all that in the email and yeah. sent it off. And no kidding, 20 minutes later, I got an email response back from Pat and said, I'd love to do it. Right, and and his response was, I can't commit just to the VMUG, but if you can figure out a way to have me, you know, come out and visit some of the other customers in the Wisconsin area, mm-hmm. I would be happy to come out for the week and participate in the in the in the UserCon. So uh, he, you know, had me touch base with his admin. His admin basically got me in contact with our communications team, our product marketing team, the event planning team, mm-hmm. uh, the VMUG. Um, planning crew as well and 150 emails later the next day after the can of worms was open and everybody said who's this nate guy and and how did he get pat to come to the user com i was in you know weekly planning meetings from that point on and uh, literally all the way up until this last week so wow yeah um, it was a lot you know a long long time planning in ahead because pat's schedule usually is booked a good three months out so mm-hmm. that's why i was started thinking well if, if there's the opportunity to ask i should probably ask now to make sure i've got enough time to kind of make sure all the ducks are on a row way way ahead of time so yeah Yeah. so yeah we certainly appreciate all the effort you put into it and making it happen for us it was you know we only had the idea you had the uh, yeah you had the ability to execute on it so we really appreciate it well i think I, i i've shared with i've shared this with you guys on our weekly planning call as well but i mean i probably i would not be where i am today at vmware if it wasn't for my involvement within the VMUG community, community and having you guys as leaders, you know, help with all the organization plan. Because when I first got into virtualization was way back in the day when I worked at West Bend Mutual. I don't know anything about VMware. Uh, got involved, engaged in the program. Um, I had access to, to awesome present, you know, presenters and, and technologists and the community itself that I could reach out to and ask for questions. So. Um, I kind of looked at it as, as this was my way of like like giving back to the VMUG community because I think it's it's hugely valuable. Um, uh, Rod Gabriel, the uh, the president of the the local VMUG community, I remember at one one time they were doing um, they were doing uh, recorded videos of uh, VMUG presenters, and I still have like a link to this old YouTube video where somebody had interviewed me on what was the value of coming to a VMUG user con, and it was all about that, right? The the VMUG Advantage subscription, the ability to network with peers, mm-hmm. you know, have access yeah. to, you know, high-end technologists. So I, I, I totally see the value of it, and that's that's why I love being a part of the, part of the organization. Awesome. Cool. So earlier, when Pat was in here, um, we actually spoke to him a little bit about some of the corporate VMware culture and how it kind of trickles down from the top. And you are a member of a special group at VMware called Veterans at VMware. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Pat Gelsinger and Sanjay Poonin are the executive sponsors of the Veterans at VMware program. Uh, it's a program, ironically, that I didn't even know existed, and I've been at VMware for three and a half years now, and I didn't find out about it until I was here for like three years. Um, but it's a program that was put together um, as a way of being able to provide 
uh, veterans in the community access to be able to get more information on how they can get into technology, mm -hmm. but they're also very heavily involved in community-related efforts. In fact, this year we had members of our veterans at VMware Group that were out at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and were, were able to lay a wreath at the sol at the at the grave or the the tomb of the unknown soldiers. So, mm -hmm. um, we they, that group or that organization tries to do all sorts of community related events across the area. And as a member of that, as an outreach of that program, um, I'm trying to find ways of being able to um, engage with other community organizations. I was literally down in the convention hall today. Uh, in the solutions exchange area talking to the, the folks from War Dogs mm -hmm. and at least letting them know who I was and what I belong, you know, I belong to this organization that's within VMware as well. And if there's anything that I can do to help them that, you know, I'm happy to because that's sort of part of the, the program is us being able to go out and have some sort of community outreach uh, within the environment. So, All right. Well, Nate, thanks for coming on the podcast today. We appreciate yeah, all awesome. your help. Yeah, and thanks for setting us this up. With, you know, the whole thing, getting Pat to come out. I mean, it's exploded our attendance today at the, at the UserCon. So, you know, excellent work, my friend. Roger that. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks. thank you. Welcome again to the special edition GigaCast from the Wisconsin UserCon. Today we have with us the almost the whole VMUG leader crew, including, including Tony. So welcome, Mr. Rod Gabriel, and welcome, Mr. Nathan Scheinemann. Did I say your last name right? You did? Yes! Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. So, okay. Um, you guys, you know, it seems like lately... You, you, the VMUG has been really growing and expanding and doing lots of new stuff. You know, Rod, you've been doing this for a long time. You know, talk, give me like a snapshot of what it was like in the early days, you know, when you first were kind of getting this thing rolling. When I first, uh, yeah, when I kind of took on the leadership of this about 12 years ago, it had kind of gone eight months without a leader. And it, been around for a couple of years before that and then went without a leader so it was you know small meetings 20 30 people for a little while getting things going um it's growing over time we were up to regular meetings 90 plus people i think nathan for yeah. a while there and it's gone back down a little bit more um but it's been interesting the focus has changed a lot, right? As technology's changed over mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. period of time. Yep. And being a VMUG and a VMware user group, while focusing on VMware products, you know, 10 years ago, VMware products was mostly a hypervisor. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's been a challenge. Our core membership has always been. The IT administrators. IT administrators, you know, virtualization admin people, and now being a VMware user has become so much more than that, right? And it's always it continues to be a little bit of a struggle, right? How do we attract new members from other parts of the VMware user ecosystem, yet still 
provide a certain level of service and content that our core membership, traditional core membership wants, right? So right yeah, because as stuff like you know cloud automation services comes online, you've got almost like developers that you're going to attract into the right. system now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And before that, you had the NSX thing and attracting the network engineer right. in instead of a systems engineer. So. And you get security people involved and when you start talking about some of the other security related products in there and it's so it's really it's changed a lot in that way so nathan what are some ways vmog has helped and impacted your career helped and impacted my career well i uh i, I think the the networking side of things is the where i can kind of redirect and focus that right so i've mm -hmm. been to quite a number of VM worlds and everybody's always concerned you know with getting all these sessions in and while the sessions you know there's a lot of great content in the sessions a lot of that's recorded you can ask later or you can watch later excuse me mm -hmm. um, but it's more about knowing the people I always described it I think I got I actually stole this from you Rod but I always described it as if I have a problem in a specific area I know who to go ask now instead of trying to get a session trying to get time with him afterwards um, I can just reach out to him on Twitter or whatever and ask him the direct question I want. So the That's networking the networking angle has become way more important than um, the um, you know all the sessions and so forth. Not that the sessions aren't aren't valuable. I mean, there's definitely a lot of good sessions here today. Mm -hmm. um, but the networking aspect needs not to be underlooked and. That's probably one of my biggest irritations too. Is I see a lot of people that show up for, for these events and they're not about the networking. They're, you know, they're they're missing the whole boat. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I really agree with that statement. When I first got involved, I it was very session heavy, and that was pretty much all I did. But you're really missing out on yeah. the community at that point. You're missing out on people that instead of just getting the marketing spiel, you're missing out on people that have actually deployed and managed these products on day two and, and some insights that they might have deploying and managing this product that you can really kind of tap into. So I completely agree. There's a, a, a big market out there for just networking, even, even outside of work, you make so many new friends, mm -hmm. you know, outside of the business aspect of it. So, um, yeah, that's really cool. Good answer. So you guys, you know, seem to, always be on the hunt for future vmug leaders what do you uh kind of look for for somebody who you know is a potential future vmug leader let's say um one of the things that we first first one i guess most obvious i guess is someone who's got time right we have a number of people who would like to do it, but they just can't fit into their schedule, right? right. So you got to have some time to be able to provide to that. Mm -hmm. And passion, right? You have to have some passion for giving back to the community. You know, it's a volunteer job. You know, so what you get out of it is, you know, just giving back, giving to the community and just feeling good about doing that. And, and also, you know, the, as Nathan talked about, the value of the networking with people. So you get that mm -hmm. back, but you have to have have that passion for helping out the community mm -hmm. i think so those are two of the big things i think yeah and i would even expand upon the time thing with um it's it's not like it's um an absorbent amount of time but um a lot of the things we look into are uh 
are they just showing up for meetings regularly, right? We get a lot of people that say, oh, they, they want to help, but we never see them. So um, just coming and participating, even if you don't make it the whole day, but you, you get there, you get a session in, you know, and then you have to, you know, go about your business or whatever. But um, just that simple step of attending, you know, just being present maybe is a better way to say it than time. Right. Even. Um, the time you'll, you know, have to juggle and sneak things in, right? Mm -hmm. um, Rod mentioned earlier in the, um, his introduction today about how a lot of us really got busy this year and Brian stepped up for us and um, did a lot of lot of legwork, right? So um, that's why, you know, we expanded beyond, beyond just the leader so we could juggle things back and forth and um, use different strengths and so forth. Cool. Is, is there, you know, if you guys have one, is there like an ideal candidate? Like who should be a VM, a VMUG leader? Um, Do you have to be, you know, really technical? No, not at all. Um, so part of it is you have to be, can't be a VMware employee, right? Well, that's a, which, that's a good which note. Which is why yeah. we had to, you know, Tony's leaving us because as he's going on to his new gig, um, we have opening fill, so you can't be, but you can be an employee of a VMware partner, right? Okay. We just, as far as, so we have two positions on our leadership team. There's the co-leaders and there's steering committee members. Our formal co-leaders, at least half of them have to be from end user customer based and can't be from a partner. So there's that part of it that's in play. Uh, steering committee members, it, doesn't matter when you can be a few more employee partner the balance does not matter so much but we try to have at least one person in the steering committee that's a customer mm -hmm. so we have someone in the pipeline for if we lose one of our customer co-leaders that we have to replace we've got someone ready to step in and keep the balance that we need to have cool Tony. so along those same lines how do you feel about wisconsin vima becoming a vmware recruiting channel <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a great thing it shows that we're yeah. doing things correctly um, I mean we'd like it that right. they'd stick around for more than nine months but <laughs> <laughs> um, yes but I think it I think it's a good thing I mean, like it's a really said, good it's, advertising campaign to get Viva Viva leaders yes. yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah it is you know it's ultimately I think Nathan would agree with this right and Tony you would and the other um, people have been through our steering committee, right? We do this because we have a passion for this and giving mm -hmm. back and helping other people in the community grow, right? And part of that is you grow your career, right? So it's good to feel like, you know, we've helped some of these people advance their careers, right? So that's, so while it's, it's a good news, bad news kind of thing, like when you gave me the call, Tony, to tell me that you're going to move on to VMware, right? I mm -hmm. think we talked about that, right? I'm like, I'm glad because I feel like we've had a part in helping you advance your career, which is a Definitely. great thing, right? Mm -hmm. Part of why we do this. On the other hand, unfortunately, that's someone we have to replace, right? A valuable member of our leadership team that we have to look forward to or find someone to replace. So it's, mm -hmm. but I think the one you're looking for is, is bittersweet, right? <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Was there a tear shed? I think for you had. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I think you had another word earlier. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't know if that's... <laughs> but our mom could listen to this. So switching gears a little bit here. So, Rod, you spent some time on the VMUG board. And what was that experience like? That was, um, 
first of all, it was a very interesting experience. It was fun. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. It was interesting. I started out as part of the committee that was put together to look at the idea of taking VMUG as a separate entity from VMware. And then once we went through that process, I was invited to be part of the initial VMUG board of directors and served a couple terms there. It was very interesting, though, when you look at it as you have this board of directors for you know, ultimately they're a pretty large organization and we're all, you know, IT geeks that are doing this. So we're in there having discussions about, you know, governance policies and um, talking about um, bylaws and going through the different budgets and marketing and all that, which was outside of the normal things that most of us had to deal with. So it was a great learning experience. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting. Um, you know, a lot of us, as we know by um, IT people, a lot of them are naturally introverts to begin with, a lot of people. So yeah, for sure. It made for some interesting uh, dynamics in the room and conversations, but it was a lot of fun, a lot of challenges going through that. But it was uh, fun just, you know, kind of expanding upon that whole giving back to the community. And, and I would assume that you learn some business best practices, et cetera, that maybe you wouldn't have had exposure to strictly in an IT frame of mind from that? Yeah, definitely. And mostly just helps you take that um, broader perspective of an organization as a whole and mm -hmm. kind of, I think it helped me back on my day job to... Um, look at some of those other pieces of the business in a little bit different light because I had that experience with the board of directors. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks for stopping by, guys, and giving us your thoughts. And hopefully you don't lose anybody else to VMware right away. At least not for a couple of months. Let's catch our breath here. Yeah. All right. Thanks for stopping right. by, guys. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Thank you. Welcome back to our special GigaCast edition from the Wisconsin VMware UserCon in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today we have with us the SE to end all SEs, Mr. Aaron Bolthouse. How are you, sir? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for coming back. You bet. Man, last time we talked to you, I think you were in a hotel in Palo Alto somewhere. I was. Yeah. It was a, a great experience out there for start training. I had a blast. Yeah. Uh, learned a lot of cool stuff, but... Um, Definitely not the best podcast studio. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and even since then, like your whole like job and everything has just been totally changed, and you're in a whole new world now, right? Well, that's the nice thing about VMware is uh, if you don't like what you're doing now, just wait, and they'll change <laughs> it on you. <laughs> so, so quickly tell us again, just you know, who are you? What do you do? And kind of customers you support, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So I'm Aaron Bolthouse. I'm a solutions engineer for VMware out of the Chicagoland area. I cover enterprise customers uh, in Chicago and the uh, surrounding suburbs. Cool. And I cover core, so it would be, you know, if VMware has it as a solution, I cover it. So you're that inch deep, mile wide, right? Across the product ranges. That's the, that's the theory, yes. Uh, I go a little bit deeper on a couple, but um, there are some that I'm, uh, pretty shallow on as a, I found out last week with a customer when they talked to AirWatch to me and I'm, I'm just like, man, I, 
really need to <laughs> learn more about AirWatch. <laughs> There's always something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the catalog of, of stuff has gotten really deep yeah. and really wide. And we keep on acquiring things. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. that too. So, so can you take us back a little bit farther than uh, your v- VMware career so far and talk a little bit about your Wisconsin VMUG history? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, prior to coming over to VMware, I was on the uh, co-leader and steering committee for the Wisconsin VMUG uh, mm-hmm. for five years. Um I actually was out at VMworld, and I had met previously uh, the year before Rod Gabriel uh, and mm-hmm. Nate and um, some of the other guys on the team. And uh, the next year that we were out there, we were all hanging out after breakout sessions one day, and Rod pulled me aside on a, on a sidewalk and asked me if when we got back I'd be interested in hopping on board and helping out with the VMUG, and that was that kind of yeah i said yes and awesome. uh we started moving forward with that and uh, i started as a steering committee member and um there was a co-leader at the time sherry who had wanted to um take a lesser role and so i ended up assuming some of her responsibilities around catering and uh you know setting up the venues for meetings and things like that mm-hmm. uh, and it kind of snowballed from there and i ended up accepting a role as a co-leader and awesome um, great group of guys. Um, probably one of the top experiences of my life. Awesome. It's, that's that's high praise. It is. Yes. Yeah. I've had a lot of experiences. <laughs> True. So, like, is, is there? Uh, I guess let's talk about this before we get into the other stuff. Mm-hmm. In your in your trans in your latest transition between you know being a commercial SE to an enterprise SE, what is what is the difference and what does that look like? Yeah, so um, when I started with VMware last year, it actually be a year come next Tuesday, uh, so that's awesome. But uh, when I started, I was in the commercial segment, which really all that means is that you have more customers per VMware folks, right? Yeah. So the idea there was I covered four um, salespeople. Mm-hmm. And they each had a customer set, and I covered all those customer sets. So I always said that I had four limbs, and they each grabbed onto one and dragged me in the direction they tried to. <laughs> uh, my, my schedule was pretty much dictated by my salespeople. Uh, I, I went where I was needed and, and kind of got called in as the artillery uh, when they couldn't handle a situation um, from a technical aspect. Nice. Um, moving into the enterprise space, it's a bit more strategic. So I'm meeting with customers more often. I'm getting to know them uh, on a deeper level. Uh, you know, I am getting into the trenches with them. So going in and, and hanging out with um, their engineering teams and understanding, you know, how it runs from a day-to-day operation as well as getting to know the uh, managerial, the C-suites, the directorships, things like that, and understanding how the business works so that when I'm helping at both levels, I can understand how best to help from a technological perspective for the company. You know, I'm not just trying to throw at them whatever the guys on the uh, on the keyboards thinks is cool, and I'm not trying to shove down the throats, you know, anything that management read in a, you know, airline magazine. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually, uh, to me, it's a lot more um, involved of a role mm-hmm. because it gives me the ability to understand my customers that much more. Awesome. So what is life like as a core SE out on the road? 
Um, up until February, it would have been very busy. Uh, a lot of dashboard time uh, mm -hmm. with the change. Now that I'm just in the Chicagoland area, I get to be home with my wife pretty awesome. much every night, which is great. She loves that. So does the pup. Yeah, don't forget Kylo. Yep. <laughs> but um, it is uh, it is a lot of go here, go there, you know, uh, a lot of plates spinning. Um, you know, just yesterday alone, uh, I started off at meetings downtown at 9 a.m. And, you know, you didn't get home till 4. Uh, and it's a 10-minute ride from downtown to my house. So it's, you know, from customer to customer to customer. And, um trying to not only keep those plates spinning but keep everything separate in my head yeah. <laughs> so that I'm helping everybody as effectively as possible awesome so I can't remember the timing of this but you recently won SE of the year you got an award I did I, I received an award uh, coming up on the end of last year okay. um, my boss uh, Charlie Nickel was kind enough to um, provide me and I will give props as well Nick Cordy we got uh, dual SE of the year for Central um, and uh, he runs a, a podcast uh, the the uh, tech nerd the V tech nerd podcast and um, it was a really good experience it really helped me understand that I was on the right path with this job it's a bit fluid as to you've got these responsibilities that you have to do every week but a lot of the other stuff is very tangential and so when you're building relationships with customers it's left up to you really as the uh, as the field team on how you're going to do that mm -hmm. and then you prove that by your outcomes and so um it it proved to me that i had taken the right path right and it was it was humbling because i'd, I'd only been there for 10 months at that point and um you know getting an award like that is is something that you don't take lightly for sure yeah that's pretty cool yeah. we're, we're all proud of you when we heard that for sure thank you yeah did you have one last one tony that was it for me actually all right um so is there any you know exciting projects that your customers are working on that you can share with us yeah i mean i can't talk about names or anything but mm -hmm. I, I had a customer um, this last fall in um, one of my territories here in Central that was really interested in getting out of the data center business. And for years they tried to refactor, go cloud native, and they'd run into roadblock after roadblock. Uh, and they really, uh, you know, I think from understanding it, the challenge was that they had two mandates that they saw as one. They had a mandate that they had to get out of the data center and they had a mandate that they had to be um, native cloud with their applications. And they were trying to do those simultaneously as one big project, and they were really two projects, right? The idea there is that one project had a much shorter timeline and on a requirement, and that is get out of the data center. We've got colos, we've got this um, contract, and it ends at this date, and we've gotta be done. And there's not, that doesn't necessarily line up with development's ability to uh, really complete the task that they need to complete as they need to complete it. And so from that perspective, <laughs> technical difficulties, everyone <laughs> go ahead finish your thought, Aaron. <laughs> from, from, uh, from that perspective, we brought in, uh, VMware cloud and AWS as, uh, a solution that helped them meet that first objective. Right. Mm -hmm. It also 
uh, had the added benefit of giving them a boost into the second objective because they were already you know moving those workloads then up into Amazon and had the ability to then have access to those backend Amazon uh, services. Okay. So as they're migrating these workloads, they could take advantage of those services in a way that they couldn't on-prem, uh, really giving them some leverage in, in that area and accelerating their process to go cloud native. Yeah. And that was a really cool experience. It was a very large um, undertaking for both the customer and for our VMC team. And being the uh, technical quarterback on that was a very cool experience. Are, are you hearing a lot of customers interested in doing the VMware Cloud and AWS yeah, journey? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a lot of different use cases that customers resonate with, right? So, um, you, you know, the getting out of the data center is one that's, that's kind of the, the big one where people, you know, they have those contracts I was talking about. They have mm -hmm. to do something with it. Mm -hmm. They see this as a great alternative and they don't have to relearn the wheel. Um, you know, one of the big talking points is DR as a service. Right. You know, we've got uh, the ability to spin up these these hosts. We've got the SRM as a service that comes as a as an additional piece to this, um, and it it is a vSphere instance out in the cloud. You know, you don't have to yep. manage DR anymore because it's all managed by VMware. Um, yeah, and they take care engineers. of your upgrades and yep. the ability to to scale when you need to for right. burst loads for you know, potentially like holiday loads etc um, and the failover capability think of how the refresh cycle is when you're talking hardware right you need to expand that then you've purchased it and then if you don't need it that's that's very cool the way everything can kind of dynamically expand and, well, and, and, I, and I've even heard stories of how like you know a host will go down in this environment mm -hmm. and it gets replaced before the customer even knows it correct yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely we've, we've had, which is just crazy uh, right because if you think about what that would take on-prem you know yeah. you're looking at uh, procuring hardware in Three an emergency pyramid cycle yeah yep. I mean easily right so so then you're running in a degraded state that whole time you know you yep. don't have your n plus one anymore mm -hmm. and that's uh, you know that's a real big problem for anybody who's doing ops on on-prem right because yeah. you don't want to run in a degraded state we've also seen some use cases where customers are interested in in this as a way to put their foot in the door in new markets right so if you have a customer you know that is looking for um, emerging into a different geo for instance and you know their options are partner with a colo put in some hardware you know mm -hmm. put themselves on a on a five-year cycle for uh you know an accounting cycle buying hardware you know servers storage etc and then putting themselves in a space somewhere you know that's a commitment that is a lot of upfront cost that might not give them that business the roi uh, that they're looking for in that new market, whereas you can spin up a VMC in a matter of hours. Mm -hmm. You can run that, you know, for a couple months, a year, depending on what you want, mm -hmm. and then see if that new market's going to work out for you. And then if it is, then you can make that commitment and you can jump back to on-prem. Um, but it gives you that flexibility that if it doesn't work out, you're not left holding the right, bag right, for right. a bunch of hardware sitting half a world away. Mm -hmm. So that was a really cool use case that I recently had as well. Awesome. Well, Very Aaron, cool. thank you so much for stopping by. I know you're full schedule today. So appreciate it a lot, brother. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right. For our final Wisconsin VMware UserCon 
interview of the day for the GigaCast, um, we have with us Mr. Kevin T. Bear from the VMware Cloud Foundation team. Is this correct? Is that where you, is that what you do? Who are you? What do you do, Kevin? All right, uh, Kevin T. Bear. Uh, I'm a senior tech marketing architect uh, for VMware uh, Cloud Foundation primarily. However, uh, I sit in the integrated systems business unit uh, to support both VMware validated designs as well as VMware Cloud Foundation. Okay. So that's that's probably something we should ask more about because we haven't talked about the VMware validated design process. Mm-hmm. So what, what what does it look like for somebody to like is there do you people do customers submit things to that or is that just uh, customers go to them and get designs from them? How does sure. that work? So there's uh, it's basically a, a free product we'll say. Uh, VMware uh, validated designs, meaning plural. However, every design is singular, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take a look at like something like a dual region design, there's only one of those designs. However, there's a uh, Excel document that you go through your decision tree process, uh, as well as uh, you know something called Cloud Builder that we share with. Um, Cloud Foundation as well mm-hmm. uh, to be able to assist for the accelerated deployment uh, of the VVD. So you say, you know, how does somebody get started with that? Well, first of all, you have to be committed to, you know, a software-defined data center approach. Mm-hmm. Then you have really two two choices: uh, VMware Validated Design or VMware Cloud Foundation. Uh, VMware Validated Design is basically a set of documentation, you know. 1,500 pages, uh, around 400 design decisions that go into that, uh, that make up a software-defined data center. So you can go through and toggle each one of the design decisions to meet your company goals, expectations, delivery, uh, and then, you know, as of, you know, 5.0, submit that to Cloud Builder to go and automate the delivery of that SDDC. Cool. So VCF 3.7 just dropped recently, you said, last month? Yeah, correct. Uh, May, March 20-something, I think, uh, was the uh, the delivery date of that. Uh, 3.7 uh, updated bill of materials as normal. Uh, new hot things for 3.7, uh, we brought back the uh, Horizon workload domain deployment. Uh, so being able to work with uh, the EUC team uh, from an enterprise architecture perspective mm-hmm. uh, go through and deploy a horizon environment automated uh, delivery with that as well. That's pretty cool. Uh, the other major thing that dropped in 3.7 is uh, VCF on VxRail. Uh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Being able to uh, attach to the uh, VxRail momentum uh, and be able to provide you know full stack lifecycle, whereas you know they were only able to do a couple of the pieces before. Mm-hmm. So, so can you touch a little bit on what HCX is, what it is, and how it can help customers? So HCX uh, is actually a product out of our you know NSBU per mm-hmm. se. Uh, HCX allows customers to be able to quickly migrate uh, VMs between whether it's on-prem and cloud, mm-hmm. uh, assuming it's you know VMware Cloud on AWS as an example, uh, or do data center migrations. 
Uh, take for example a customer that has a you know 5.1 environment. It's going to be difficult for them to adopt a new greenfield data center. Mm-hmm. It's going to be difficult for them to also upgrade that data center. Uh, so with HCX, they can actually connect to a new greenfield data center uh, and be able to migrate all the components, uh, VMs, from site A to site B, uh, whether it's one at a time, whether it's bulk migrations, whether it's scheduled, whether it's on demand. Uh, and with all that, uh, they can do that you know, with you know, little downtime or no downtime, depending upon which options they choose. Uh, the other thing with HCX is that you know, one side has to be uh, NSX. Mm-hmm. But as every customer you know, proceeds further and further down the software-defined data center route, they're already adopting or looking to adopt NSX anyway. Uh, so that gives them a very easy on-ramp uh, to spin up their, their NSX deployment, uh, basically taking their VMs from a legacy environment, we'll say maybe as old as 5.1, could be as new as you know, 6.7 if that's what their their legacy is defined as. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being able to quickly migrate them uh, to a new landing zone that is fully software-defined or maybe just software-defined networking in that. Uh, so that's just a little bit. Cool. So what what kind of customers do you see adopting Cloud Foundation? Is it, you know, is there a specific subset that you end up seeing or is it kind of all kinds? It is all kinds. Uh, yeah, you know, even at the, the VMUG here, we have a wide range of VCF customers. We have customers that have four nodes of Cloud Foundation and that's all they've ever had. Mm-hmm. We also have customers that have racks upon racks of of VCF deployed. So there is not a vertical per se that uh, customers are adopting VCF, but rather I think it's any customer that is uh, looking to modernize their data center and wants the easy button for that, right? Mm-hmm. So through uh, you know VMware validated designs that we talked about earlier, we're able to give them a VMware validated design uh, through Cloud Foundation with automated deployment of the infrastructure on day zero, but then, you know, day N actions such as certificate replacement, password replacement, right? Mm-hmm. Things that are cantankerous at best or things that are just, you don't do it often enough and you forget how to do it. Right. So certificate replacement being one of them. Right? It's always such a pain. Think about the last time yeah. you did it right. Yeah. Think about the countless amount of time that you spent looking at blog articles or whatnot. And you're like, ah, if only this was easier. Right. Uh, and, you know, with VCF, it's uh, register it with a Microsoft CA, fill out a form, and replace all the components in under an hour. Uh, and you had to do zero command line. So that's huge for mm-hmm. for the small customers, but as well as the large customers, right? Uh, they're able to take that agility. Um, cert replacement is one thing. Password replacement, same thing. You have a new employee. You have a employee that leaves. You want to change all your passwords. You can go ahead and just one button click and change all the passwords in your environment. That's so nice. So some of these things with the back-end automation, are there... 
instances where you would potentially run into an issue with a particular variable? Are there are there stop on errors or is it go on errors and, and pass on that particular piece and continue billing? Because at some point you could probably have something underlying that needs to be done prior to something else being done. How does that process work? So if you're asking about like, you know, how do we feedback or how do we echo um, what happens, right? So taking the example of password rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say we get halfway through rotating passwords and we go to an asset like NSX, for example, and we try and rotate the passwords, but we are unsuccessful in doing so. Right. Well, we stop at that point. We okay. do not proceed uh, with the next asset to be rotated, uh, more so from the aspect of we don't know if it was successful or not, Likely it wasn't successful because maybe somebody changed the password outside of um, VCF, right? Mm-hmm. So if you change a password outside VCF, we need to make sure that we update that password. Uh, so I guess the long and short of it is generally stop on air, okay. uh, provide the feedback, fix the problem, and then continue. And try again. Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm basically out unless you have more. I've got more. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about is a little bit outside of the tech, technical aspect. So being an engineer, you have opportunities to travel a little bit more than some other people do, and, and you get to some interesting places. So what are some of the interesting locations you've gotten to travel to through VMware? That's a loaded question. <laughs> G-rated, please. <laughs> yeah. So from May 2017 to December 2018, um, it probably would have been easier to tell my wife I was a pilot uh, <laughs> because I did around 300 and some odd thousand miles on oh a plane. Oh my gosh. Uh, over 200 nights in hotels, uh, all for you know building cloud foundation, mm-hmm. customer success, uh, trying to make sure that you know, our first few customers that were adopting VCF uh, were actually able to, uh, you know, spin up. And it was more so a precautionary measure than a required measure, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure that they were successful putting skin in the game mm-hmm. uh, and going and traveling to all these places. With that, um, yeah. last year alone was two trips to Australia, uh, a trip to Ireland for two weeks, poorly scheduled by myself to overlap with St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Unfortunately, it was on a Saturday with 10 hours of sleep, and I did not get to partake in St. Patrick's Day. Um, However, uh, you know, those are just a few of the places from last year. Uh, as I said, you know, 300 plus thousand miles. So what is that around the world? 10 times, 12 times, I think. So 24,000 miles roughly. Mm-hmm. We so, need like a where in the world is Kevin T-Bear song to play. Yeah, yeah. Carmen San Diego. Yeah. Should, yeah. yeah she, <laughs> Cue that in. <laughs> we'll do it in post. Yeah. yeah. Usually say that and then it doesn't happen. No. Right. <laughs> Good intentions. Yeah. Um, but no, I... Australia was cool. Um, however, leaving Wisconsin in July 
and going to Australia was in the winter time down in there. In the winter yeah. time down there. Mm-hmm. What, but it's a very mild winter. It's like 60 degrees. And oh, yeah. everyone's in winter coats. So. Very nice. Well, awesome. Thank you for t- your time today. Thank you for coming out and talking to us and, and speaking at the VMUG. And appreciate the, uh, the last minute changes you were able to accommodate and help us out with a, another session that was vacated. So we appreciate your help. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah, you. thanks for stopping by, Kevin. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Once again, this has been GigaCast episode 28 for Monday, April 22nd. Thanks again to everybody who came by at the Wisconsin VMUG UserCon, uh, especially to Pat Gelsinger. Thanks for giving us a few time minutes of your time. Uh, thanks to Sean Massey for talking to us, as well as kind of being our last-minute production assistant, helping us out. And thanks to Nigel and Nate Hudson and Anthony Hook and Aaron Bolthouse and Rod Gabriel and Nathan Scheinemann and Kevin T. Beer, all of you guys for stopping by and talking to us. Um, please subscribe to the show um, in your podcast app of choice or get the feed for the show at feed at gigacast or feed.gigacast.net and then follow us on Twitter at vgigacast. Thanks again. We'll talk to you later, hopefully soon with Chris Williams and our special mental health episode coming up. Thanks again.